previously on the Dave and Steve show. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's the that's the understated uh, erection uh, problem, Dave. The one where you basically just uh, have one at all the inopportune times. Yeah, yeah, like you know when you're you know going to visit grandma or whatever. <laughs> just well, I mean a lot of the a lot of the decorations are up, and I I dribble <laughs> I I, dri I dribble in an anti gravity way. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, Tracy. I mean, I, I'm, at least I have my paints out. At halftime, all of the cowboys and cowgirls of the Eastside Catholic Knights walked out onto the field with the Spartan and performed songs from How to Train Your Dragon. Um, the extension cord so that it's going to, I have a brand new big super extension cord that I can use. You can get hot iced tea, warm, you know, normal or hot iced tea. How Jeez, about tea? I'm such an idiot. Hot tea. <laughs> you can get hot, branding hot iced tea. That's such a stupid ice moron. cold hot iced tea. I shouldn't even have a show. This is dumb. What's different? What have you done? It's you're in a. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm in my bedroom. The person who got somebody's attention and then simulated intercourse on a large stuffed teddy bear it immediately made me think of tracy if i moved the camera over there you see you could see really where where i lay at night and cry myself to sleep yeah because yeah. in all fairness i didn't say shit i didn't say like hey dickhead <laughs> we moved this i didn't say anything other than tracy was going to be pissed off and i'll tell you why 40 <laughs> years of knowing you steve i roll with the punches when it comes to steve i'm very used to steve <laughs> giant candy canes that my dad got at a garage sale whose garage sale did you ask i'm sure you're interested to find out tell me well, about sand has sand yeah. been in your life i have played sand and actually sand gave me a weird rash on the end of my penis so i, I got right. that going oh, for me i remember that yeah I Show number 82 of the Dave and Steve Show. I am Dave, sitting right alongside me, a mere 27 miles away, is Steve. Dave. Tracy. And from parts unknown, the lovely and buxom Tracy. There are just times where we sound just like who we are. That's just <laughs> no magic there. We have, a, we have a very special show tonight. I'll start off by saying, if you, the, the listener at home... Has ever wondered what the hell cryptocurrency is or really how cryptocurrency works? As I said to our guests after we got done with them tonight off the air, there was a good chance going into this interview with our guests tonight that it could have been boring and it could have been really dry when you're talking about something like cryptocurrency or anything tech-wise. Both of these gentlemen were fantastic. They're upbeat, they're vibrant, they explain things in a way that if I can understand them, I feel like at least 99% of our listeners out there can understand them. And they break down terms that I'm sure you've heard thrown around a million times, like blockchain, like NFT, like cryptocurrency, like all these different things where you hear it and you think you know something about it, but you're not, you're not totally up to speed. Tonight, this show is for you. So I will just say, if this, if from the onset, this feels like a something, ah, I'm not, that sounds boring. I don't know if I want to listen to that. Give the interview a chance because I was fascinated listening to this. This is something that I, I've wanted to know about for some time. I hear, I, you guys know as well as I do that you hear all these terms, you hear mining. What the hell is mining of something that's totally digital and feels like it's, it's pulled from the sky? How does that work? All those things get broken down and explained, and and frankly, I was I was pretty amazed. Steve, 
do we want to talk about connections that you've got here? Do we want to yeah, talk about? Yeah, okay. actually, um, I, so the, these actually are two uh, gentlemen that I work with um, working on content for their business. They're from Flourishing Capital um, is the name of their company. And what they're doing is they're working to take all of that, uh, all of that insecurity out of cryptocurrency and giving you a way to uh, to put it in your portfolio with confidence. Yeah. They're really trying to all that doubt that you have about it, all the all the you know shadow and gloom that may be hanging over it in the back of your mind over what cryptocurrency is. They break it down in a way that makes sense, and then their company is really doing something to kind of add some sense and order um, to how you can get into um, investing in uh, in cryptocurrency in a any in a much more organized fashion. And, and they'll, they'll talk about that toward the end. Really. It's not a big commercial for what they do. They really just want to, you know, preach the gospel of, of what, uh, what cryptocurrency is and how it can be used for, uh, for, you know, good purposes. Yeah. Let, let, we're going to get onto the interview. I, I don't want to talk about this too much because we can let the interview do the talking. What I will say is exactly what Steve said. We weren't, we weren't paid by this company or anything like that. We had legitimate questions before they came on with us for this interview. We were talking to one another and we were just saying how little, with the exception of Steve, who's learned a lot about this over the last few weeks, but how little we actually know about this. And so they they were gracious enough to come on and say, yes, we can talk to you and we can explain these terms and we can let you know how this all works. And at the end, they do give a website. If you want to go to the website, great. You don't have to. The point of this is more about learning what cryptocurrency is and what these term what these terms mean than anything else. So again, I don't want to belabor the point. This is our interview with Eric and Stefan, and it's right here, right now, on the Dave and Steve show. Our guests tonight are turning the world. Let's try that again. Just no, we're keeping this. Time. We're keeping all this. <laughs> Going smooth. Going smooth. <laughs> Good start. Dipshit. All right, here let's go. go. <laughs> Our guests tonight are turning the wild west of cryptocurrency into a level playing field with simple, smart, artificial intelligence portfolio management for DeFi and crypto. Dave and Tracy wanted to know more about cryptocurrency, and I can think of few better to talk about it than CEO Eric Gonzalez and Chief Marketing Officer Stefan Rollins from Flourishing Capital. Eric and Stefan, welcome to the Dave and Steve Show. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be thank here. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, guys. So, yeah, we, a couple couple weeks ago, I mentioned to Steve. So I, I, my words to Steve were, the only thing I don't know about cryptocurrency is literally everything. So I want to okay. start at a baseline there so that you guys understand. But I also feel like I'm not alone in this. I work in the tech mm -hmm. industry. I, of course, I'm, of course, being a jackass. I know what cryptocurrency is, at least on a, on a high level. But I have I have many questions. Even before you guys joined in on the show, and we were just kind of talking back and forth, we were we were saying things about NFTs and a few things that we'll get to a little bit later. Where even Tracy, who I think is probably more well versed than I am in this, was like, I I didn't know about that. I hadn't heard of that. There's a lot of it's such a new and emerging thing, and I know it's been around for for years now, but it's new enough to where people like me. We don't really know what it is. So maybe just take us like at a base level, if you can, as to what cryptocurrency is and sort of how it's manifested itself in the last, especially the last couple of years. 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, guys, thanks for having us on the show. So, all right, before we talk about crypto, we have to talk about the blockchain. Because great. without understanding that, like nothing in crypto makes sense. And it's just a bunch of, you know, Hogwarts-ish wizardry. So the blockchain is nothing more than a big old distributed ledger across the internet. Infinitely auditable, infinitely searchable. I can pass some cryptocurrency from my wallet to Stefan or Steve or Tracy or yourself, Dave. And anybody in the world can actually pull up a receipt for that transaction by just simply searching it out. Okay. As long as they know the transaction ID or they know the wallet ID. So it's this big distributed ledger. So I was talking to Steve yesterday, and one of the things I told him was I find it funny that a lot of our elected representatives claim that crypto can be used for nefarious activities. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm sure some of it happens, just like with the U.S. dollar, but... It's an infinitely searchable, infinitely auditable ledger, so it's kind of hard to hide. Sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. Yep. Right by its very nature. Yep. So, but, and and I'm sorry to jump in, but so go I'm glad you said the blockchain thing because that was one of my questions. I, that, I right. literally had like, what the hell is blockchain? So that's great that we start. And this again is level setting for you where yep. I'm at with all this. But you said it's an it's a searchable ledger that sort of mm -hmm. keeps a safety net. So explain mm -hmm. to me, again, from a complete layman who doesn't know sure. about this, I only know what I hear in the news and things like that. I hear mm -hmm. about this, this cryptocurrency called Squid Game, and I hear this All thing right. has exploded in terms of value, mm -hmm. and then, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't know enough to speak on this in an educated fashion, but I hear the sure. owner of, or the owners of this cryptocurrency took a bunch of money from it devalued it mm -hmm. completely and a bunch of people lost yes. money and they, they ran, ran away, away from the whole thing. Yeah. So, so my question is yeah. maybe, maybe we'll get to this as we define a few more of these things. And maybe I should mm -hmm. let you define these things first before we get into a complicated situation like that. But you know, when you say a ledger and trackable and all that, and then I hear something like mm -hmm. that, I'm curious how that happens, but I'm happy to save that for later. Sure. It's a, so the short answer is to how Squid Game was able to propagate is um, negligence and lack of due diligence. Got it. So if somebody pitches you on a startup idea and they take your money as an investor and they run, it's no different than taking your crypto and running, right? I Got mean, it. it's the yep. same exact hustle. It's just a different mechanism. Okay. Right. So that's the problem. And when we say a blockchain is infinitely searchable, our system, quick aside for a five-second commercial, sure. it's an AI-based crypto portfolio manager that actually does a lot of the analysis on your behalf so you don't jump into Squid Game, right? <clears throat> when it looked at the Squid Game, to the Squid Token, it actually recognized it as a scam immediately. And there were a couple of red flags. One of them being the team behind it is anonymous. Well, if you're anonymous, there's a pretty good chance you can just run away with the yeah. with current. So right there, right there and then, that's an immediate deal breaker for our system. And frankly, for Stefan and I. Yeah. So the other thing you could have very easily identified is that there was a lot of money going in. Basically, it's just like foreign exchange. You can change, exchange a dollar for euros or Canadian loonies or yen or whatever the yep. case may be, yep. right? So there's a lot of cash going in. 
But what they did was they pulled a sort of a technical maneuver to stop anybody from selling it, right? So identifying that on the blockchain, again, doubled down our hypothesis that this was a complete scam. And so it's kind of hoarding, hoarding its value. Exactly. A little bit. Yeah, so, and, and it's locking it in and not allowing the, the, the very people who put that value in to pull it back mm -hmm. out, right? The idea with right. crypto is I change my fiat currency, my US dollar into, you know, a squid game token, ideally, and the way it's supposed to work is you then take that token and I can sell it on an exchange, right? Or I can mm -hmm. sell it to another user who values that token, right? So, Just a simple you, exchange. So here's the thing, Stefan, you used a term that like a lot of people don't understand, and this is in normal money. You called it fiat currency, and it's because in general that it this is a Federal Reserve says this is worth a certain amount. And so they have balance sheets that we're not allowed to see. And they have, you know, M3 and M5 and all those things that are that, that help explain to people who belong to the Federal Reserve and their member banks how our currency has its value. And nobody understands that either. So right. it's interesting. <laughs> um, but 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 a question about that is this when we talk about things like when something has an assessed value and it isn't actually backed up by anything, there is no gold standard or commodity that is backing it up. How can I, when I invest in something, understand that I actually have anything that's value that isn't any more than a stated value? So so you just latched on to literally the foundational the point. tenant and points <laughs> and, and challenge with, with literally any form of currency, whether it's a fiat currency, so a, a government issued dollar that's backed by the, by the government saying that we support the value of this, or if it's a, if it's a digital currency, right? One of the things about Bitcoin, you know, sort of to your, to your question, Bitcoin, you see these massive swings in value, and it's because there is no intrinsic value to that token. The, the value of that token or of that coin is determined and decided by the market. And the market, as we all know, is fickle. It's going to swing up, it's going to swing down, it's going to go all over the place. Without a baseline of intrinsic value, Bitcoin could literally drop all the way to zero, except it won't happen. Right. And that's only because at a certain point, speculators will step in and stop the drop. Right. Sure. And so it, it really becomes this interesting sort of game you can play, if you will. Right. You look at traditional currency, traditional money. It has been created out of thin air. Right. Before we had gold backed currency in the U.S. It's no longer gold backed. So is the U.S. dollar really have any value to it? Does it have an intrinsic value? The only intrinsic value we can associate with the US dollar is that the US government says it's worth something. But to your point, we don't see all the books. We don't know quite everything, right? They're supposed to be making it public. You just don't know for certain whether or not that drop could happen there also. And guess what? It can't because it's just paper, right? If I decide that I'm not going to accept the US dollar anymore, I'm going to accept something else, a rock, a, a gold piece yeah, of metal. Shiny rock. Yeah, yeah, a shiny yeah. rock because a I like that rock more. Idea backed by another idea. It's just like, well, it's got another idea mm -hmm. behind it, so it's got to yeah. be better. Yeah, and and so you get into this really interesting mind game, if you want, right, where you can just play around and figure out like what's going to have value, what's not. I mean, you know, with with cryptocurrency, and you know, I don't want to sort of hog the conversation here so much, but what's interesting to me is with cryptocurrency, is that 
literally uh, people are making a lot of stuff up, right? But what you just mm -hmm. talked about on the squid game piece, that was a classic rug pull, right? They, it's no different than a Nigerian prince calling you up on the yeah. phone yeah, and, right. and offering right. to send you money. I mean, that's literally what happens. And, and that in, in itself is the biggest challenge for cryptocurrency and the crypto markets is bridging that, that element of, of just frankly, you know, danger, scam, rip off, call it what you will. Right. And convincing people that there is value there and there's a better way to exchange currency or funds or value than just traditional fiat monies. Right? So I had one more question kind of on, you know, talking about this value, this valuation of it. A lot of times, like we understand that, like the fluctuation in government or like paper money uh, happens a lot with re with regard to like hyperinflation or things. So the more dollars that are out there, the less valuable the ones you have. So uh, that you already have. So you could have something in your wallet that you've not spent yet, and it could be devaluing in your wallet. And so what prevents like, is there a fixed amount of like, money in like so if i let's use bitcoin generically is there a fixed amount that we're all splitting um or is it something that it can like can the balance sheet of bitcoin uh go you know like go up by a certain number and devalue what i have because it's less common or more or more common or what's the word i'm trying to it's less it's more common plentiful yes. Plentiful, more, yeah. more voluminous <laughs> yeah. in the market, yes. I think, yeah. is where you're yeah. going, Tracy. So the short answer to the Bitcoin question is 21 million Bitcoin. Now, how did I know that? Well, because I looked it up. But <clears throat> most people think of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency as like digital gold, right? It's just another thing I can stuff into my portfolio and make money off and it's an alternative to the dollar. It's an alternative to equities that ultimately are based in the dollar, euros, or whatever the case may be. I'd like to give you another way to think about crypto. It's not digital gold. It's more like programmable money. Stop and think about that for a minute. We did. So if I can program money, right? <laughs> we did. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> if I can program that money, I can do a couple of things. I can program its usage. I can program it. Uh, I can program its total supply. I can program activity like reduction in volume in the marketplace. So when somebody first programmed Bitcoin, they programmed it to not exceed 21 million. And you can mine Bitcoin to obtain some of that for yourself. A little over half of it has been mined at this point, right? A bit over half, yeah. And um, you can continue to mine Bitcoin and all of these algorithms that allow you to earn Bitcoin are really just complex mathematical equations that your computer can run. They just churn up electricity and they spit up Bitcoin on the other end. But ultimately, once we get to 21 million, we're done. Not a single Bitcoin can be minted above that. But and so Bitcoin it controls supply. Those Bitcoin are dividable into mm -hmm. uh, their own. It's like you have dollars and you have cents that make the dollar. You have so yes. many. What what do they call it? Sato Satoshi's that make Satoshi's correct. Yeah, that make uh, correct. I, I've been learning things. Um, <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. Well done. 
and so many makeup bitcoins you can you don't have to you know save up 60 grand to purchase one bitcoin you, you can you buy can buy it. it in pieces yeah yeah at some point it becomes easier to talk about satoshis if the bitcoin value is high enough right so it doesn't make sense for me to say 3% of a dollar. It makes sense for me to say three pennies, right? So same right. thing, right? Think of Satoshi, although it's not a hundred to one, it's far less than that. Um, but that's basically just a subdivision. And so ultimately the, the answer to your question is, you know, what is the value of these things? Well, it comes down to lots of things, just like any other currency. It comes down to how much is in circulation how much can be in circulation. In other words, how rare it is, right? Mm -hmm. I tell everybody rarity is important because, you know, if it rained diamonds tomorrow, diamonds would not only be worthless, they would be negative value. Yeah. Right. Okay, right? So that's easy enough to understand. <clears throat> but the other side of it is, is you can also program sinks into the system where every time a currency is utilized in a business transaction, it gets absorbed by the initial issuer and it goes away. Let me give you one example. If you download the Brave browser, these are old Netscape guys and JavaScript mm -hmm. guys that put this together. What they'll do is they'll show you an ad. Every time you consume an ad, they'll give you a token. It's called a bat. The basic yeah, the uh, was it? Yeah, the attention token. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. So they set the volume. The moment that you go and spend bat in some way, shape, or form, that gets pulled out of circulation. And it, what happens to it is it, it's called it. it the, the the term is burning. Right? It gets burned, which is it vaporizes, it goes away, never gets seen again. So now your overall supply goes down, which means in theory, every individual bat coin now is more valuable. Right? We do something similar with our currency. And so by manipulating sort of volume, you can raise the, vo the value. But that's not all there is to it. There are three distinct drivers behind what a cryptocurrency is worth. And they are, you know, in, in very simple terms, there's some economic activity behind the, the coin. Two, it's backed by some collateral, USD, other assets, whatever the case may be. Or three, it's backed by nothing, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, uh, so other than just the, the, the desire for other people to buy it. That and Eric's good looks, but yeah. Sure. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what we uh, put on every one of our coins, right? That's right. That's right. That's like called that, so, you know? so is what we just real quick, just yeah. point of point of reference. So for for everybody listening and you know for you guys as well. So what Eric just described, right? The minting and burning of tokens, and then how the tokens are formed. Either they're backed by something or they're not. Mm -hmm. So that's if they're backed by something, they're tethered to something, right? They're they're latched to it effectively. So it's tethered or untethered tokens. Untethered Bitcoin, example number one, right? So let me right. go. I want to go back just for a moment, uh, Eric, to one thing that you said, because it's another one of these terms that we hear a lot when we hear through ancillary conversations, things around cryptocurrency. It's the it's the concept mm -hmm. of mining cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. And I have, again, I, I work in a tech space, which is it. I mean, it's just another reason why I should know this shit. And I don't. I feel awful that I don't. But because I'm surrounded <laughs> by people who I mean, I literally have a guy that I used to work with who came to work telling us how he used a sawzall to cut giant holes in the side of his garage to air it out because the computers, the PCs he had, 
that were mining Bitcoin were overheating his garage so badly. And he didn't care because he was making so much money off this that he just saws all the side of the garage off until winter set in. Is it is mining? Is it a time based thing? Meaning, is it running an algorithm or putting together lines of code? And when it gets to a certain point, it's effectively I don't even know how to term it. It's it's manufactured one of the single digits of currency, and then it just has to keep doing that. And that's why people build up these giant farms to quote unquote mine, because the more you have and the faster you can do it, the more you're getting. Is that did I sort of get that right? The fundamental basis of mining is that no centralized authority should be able to print money unilaterally. And that's how you control sort of inflation in the in the currency itself. So the Fed right now prints a bunch of money effectively we all get poorer right right i mean that's just standard yep. economic model uh, modeling right so what mining does is it removes it from a centralized authority a group of humans or a human and turns it into a mathematical problem so the first mathematical set to earn the first bitcoin i'm simplifying a little bit but the very first one basically is a super easy problem. The next one's a little harder, the next one's a little harder, the next one's a little harder, and so on. And so they get progressively more difficult. Every time you solve the equation, congratulations, you win some digital money, right? right? And that can get put into your wallet. So we keep progressively going, uh, you know, going through these algorithms. Now, the reason that this gentleman's garage was a furnace right. is basically because um, he had too many machines operating. It used to be many, many moons ago that you can you could mine currency off a simple laptop. Those days are long gone, and now you have specialized computing equipment to go ahead and calculate these algorithms. There are, and I've seen them personally, there are large just data centers full of these machines just cranking stuff out. And the idea is, is that if you spend X amount on cooling, powering the machinery, but you get 2X out of it in Bitcoin, well, then it's worth it to mine. Right, right. Simple as that, right? So it's just a matter of the sheer computing power required to get that next Bitcoin because we're at the point where the calculations are fairly complex. Now, the interesting thing then becomes, if you care about the environment and all, is what is the carbon footprint of crypto? Ouch, right? That sounds like it's not insignificant, and it isn't. And so there's this ongoing discussion in the crypto community. Should we allow minting and mining in a much more simplified way that is much uh, much less power intensive in some way, but still is difficult enough to where mining isn't a complete free-for-all and we just run through the entire you know, supply in days. Right. And so that's a problem that the community is sorting out right now. But and that, that's the that, gist of it. This leads into my next question. This is perfect because yeah. this is one of the cool. things I wanted to ask. So now we get into non-fungible <laughs> right. tokens. Now we get into right. the idea of this. I, <laughs> okay. I, I am an I am an artist. I've been an artist forever. I was an animator for many years. And so I have a lot of friends who are deep into the NFT space because obviously mm-hmm. they're artists. They create pieces of digital art and then they sell those. And, and the thing that I have mm-hmm. heard... And again, this is I'm, I haven't dug deep into this. This was the was the thing I brought up to Tracy before you guys came on the air. I said NFTs, from what I know, are a huge impact to the environment, but I don't know why. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, I could that could just be what I've gotten from ancillary conversations, and they may not be as big of a deal as as I've heard that they are. But I've heard a lot of controversy swirling around those. Is that because of the crypto required to purchase them? Or is there something else at work there? 
It's primarily because the tokens used to purchase them were mined in some way, which takes us right back to the garage furnace. Okay. Okay. Right. Now it goes back to the blockchain and this is why we started Stefan and I with the blockchain and why everything comes back to the blockchain. So every time you mine, you get another coin that's recorded on the blockchain. Well, an NFT is just a different way of using the blockchain, not to record a financial instrument, but to record a fractionalized ownership or complete ownership of an authenticated copy of a piece of art. So it's the difference between crypto being a disintermediator of banking, right? In fact, a lot of people in crypto call it, you know, they, they, they say, I'm here for bankless, right? They want to be their own bank. NFTs yeah. are another thing. <clears throat> if crypto like BTC, Ethereum, or Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of these sorts of things yep. are disintermediating banks. NFT is disintermediating Sotheby's and Christie's and those sorts of things. Sure. Because if I put, you know, if I drop a stick figure and create an NFT of it, I don't need those art houses to authenticate its authenticity. I just need the blockchain to do it. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah think of it, it is, as digital you... provenance, right? Sure. Correct. Yep. It's, it's verifiable. It's... Yeah. And it it effectively becomes its own form of currency. That's what the uber wealthy right. are using for, you know, moving money around. Anyway, they're they're put they're right. they, they they place value on art. They move that art from one place to another. It's you know, there's they avoid taxes. They they do all kinds of great mm -hmm. stuff. So now, effectively, like uh, Tom, our friend from Duty.com, who's uh, known for all these you know crazy, you know little pieces of art that he can now authenticate as his own, those, those are going to become their own form of currency that can be, that can be shuttled around. Now they're not going to be, you know, easily, I mean, it's just one more step of breaking it up into, um, into currency, but it becomes its own, its own symbol of value. And that's, uh, that, that's why we need uh, Dave to crank out a few more drawings and get this. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Get, yeah. Think, get think of it as think of it as digital bartering, almost. Yeah, right. that's what I was thinking right? there too. It's a digital art house, digital bartering. It's all the yeah. same. Yeah, I mean, thing. it's it's a, it's effectively the same thing, right? You're assigning value to a thing, right? Now we're verifying that it's something specific by attaching an NFT to it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a drawing that I did, or that you did, or that Dave did. Yep. We've so assigned it, so now it's it's got my name on it. Makes it worth more to somebody else. And the best part is, just like crypto is programmable money, NFTs are programmable art assets. So you can define the total volume and circulation. A thousand pieces—that's all there is. Great, there you go. There's no certificate of authenticity required. There's no art critic in Milan that says yes, this is authentic. It's You're not going to find a it's thousand a more Thomas Kincaids in the, yeah, right. in the basement yeah. or anything. So, <laughs> right. here, but here's a question I have: When you talk about the blockchain, you talk about this endlessly auditable uh, ability to be able to see like where the life, where the life is of mm -hmm. of, of money. And let's and banks, banks have begun in in fiat currency have been able to struggle with this because you know after 9-11 and a number of things they have these like know your customer laws and they kind of wanted to know like where money was going where money was fun where, where it was coming from where it was going so if i ended up with some cryptocurrency but it has originated from a nefarious force mm -hmm. somewhere 
and now I possess it. And now through association, I possess something that I derived value from something they have. And now I am forever linked to them because when I get, you know, $10 and change from Safeway, I don't know what drug dealer or anybody had it beforehand. I don't even care. But now I'm linked and associated in a permanent way to sources that could over time become popular or unpopular because of the shifts of culture. How do I protect myself from possessing something that could be something tomorrow out of vogue or could be make me considered uh, dangerous? It's a really good question. Let me give you a hypothetical. Each dollar bill has a serial number to it, right? Mm -hmm. Attached to it. So what if the FBI had um, recorded that serial number and you now possess it in your wallet? Are you right. similarly linked to that drug deal? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's, it's old right. marked bills, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So think of it in the same way. Every bill is a marked bill, right? And so it's a great question to ask because, you know, if you follow the chain, at some point there's an origination point. Mm -hmm. And that origination point is minting or, you know, mining in some way, shape, or form. The difference being minting is just voila, it exists versus mining requires you to solve an algorithm. But regardless, somebody had to make that and then somebody had to trade that to somebody else for something. The question is, how do you know what that something was? And this is the problem the feds are wrestling with right now, right? There is another side to that transaction that's completely dark. And so all you know is Steve paid Eric, Eric paid Stefan, Stefan paid Tracy, Tracy paid Dave, but for what? And that's, well, that's, the, that's, that's the thing that's the thing on your, on your blockchain check would be for you right just, yeah. you just put in the notes section this was for a speedball right that's what <laughs> you know what I mean, so. right the, <laughs> right the other the other thing to mention is right. is you know it's it's traceable yes but it's only value as a traceable object right if mm -hmm. i'm if i'm police fbi or whatever right? right the only way that i can say that you tracy and you eric did it drug deal is if I have proof of you doing it in the act and Eric, you then paying Tracy in, in the cocaine token. Right. Right. And. Okay. We're going to get to cocaine tokens in just a the little vast, bit. <laughs> the vast, well, yeah, the vast, yeah, those are, those are coming next week. The vast right. majority of transactions are not peer to peer per se. Right. The vast majority of transactions in crypto are happening across exchanges. Right, whether it's a central exchange or a or right. decentralized exchange, and and what that means is, it's basically you're throwing a bunch of tokens into a wash, and you get whatever you're buying or or moving. Right. So if I'm going to buy Bitcoin, I'm going to go to an exchange. I'm going to buy it off off the off the exchange. Yes, you could trace where that Bitcoin piece has been. Right. But you couldn't say that I got that Bitcoin for having delivered you, Tracy. Right. Cocaine. Yep. Right. True. So so you get a level of separation there that is, in fact, very similar to what you get from from fiat currency. Right. Eric's hypothetical. Right. right? Mm -hmm. You know, well, I got a ten dollar bill at the at the grocery store is some of my change. And that ten dollar bill inevitably has cocaine residue on yeah. it because yeah. Yeah, what's that? What's that number? They all do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So 89 percent of the currency is exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, I got that, but, you know, again, it's come to me through this vast web of, of interactivity, 
right? And so saying that there's a direct connection is, you know, is a joke at that point. Excellent. All right. That's good to know. So net-net. So, net-net, easy, yeah. <laughs> easy to pull a receipt in crypto, really hard to trace origin, and that's by design. Yeah. Okay. So now... So now let's bring this all home because this, for me personally, so I know it's been helpful for other people listening. This has been great. So now I want you to walk me through mm -hmm. what your company does in relation to all this. Because I think about like, you know, with my investment portfolio, I go down to my little, my little awesome uncle who runs a little Edward Jones branch. And I, I say, here's my, here's my money. I want you to go invest this. And he shows me the same little graph he shows me all the time, which is since the inception of the stock market, the line has always yep. gone up. Eventually, it comes down a little bit, but it always goes up. And if you look at the big trend line, mm -hmm. so we're going to put this in safe investments. In other words, there's, a, there's somebody who, who knows this and they understand. But at the end of the day, the stock market is still ultimately a gamble. It is a, it's mm -hmm. one big gamble. You're throwing money into it. That's why they always say only invest money you're willing to give away or to lose. Uh, you put your money in there in the hopes that that line continues to go up over time. This is what terrifies me about something like mm -hmm. cryptocurrency is mm -hmm. I don't have a line to reference. I'm, I'm brand new to this. And, and this line at most is, you know, a few years old and mm -hmm. it's volatile as all hell. You can watch any, mm -hmm. there's lots yeah. of little apps now that allow you to watch the crypto market and you watch that line dance around and bounce up and down and do all sorts of crazy mm -hmm. things. As an outsider like me, it's, it's pretty terrifying to watch. Mm -hmm. So tell me, sort of explain to me your company and sort of how it steps in on something like this. So I'm, I'm going to set you up, Eric, real quick here, right? Great. So this is Eric's lead in. So here's the thing. Most, in fact, virtually every person in crypto is out there hustling on their own. And they're trying to find what token, what coin is going to pop next. Yep. They've built algorithms, they've built bots, they've got sniper bots that go out and trade on very specific transactions. They're doing all kinds of things, but they're doing it themselves and they're struggling to keep up. And no matter how experienced they are, they still fall into the same traps and they're still stuck and limited by their own individual capabilities to absorb the data and make sense of it. And then to go out and make decisions based on that data. Okay, so that's that's the crypto space today. Yep, yep. Individuals out there thrown into the deep end, trying to make sense of, of the market and struggling to do so. Eric, take it away. <laughs> that was an awesome segue. Thank you. Um, so, okay, so folks are trying to figure out what to do and what to buy and what to get into and when to get out, right? Yep. Because there are cycles and you're right, the volatility is, you know, by traditional bond and equity, you know, uh, standards. It's pretty wild, yep. no doubt about it, which is why we tell our clients only invest a small part of your overall portfolio. Don't just, you know, completely lean in and put, you know, half your portfolio in, right? Because it's going to be hard stopping. But here's the problem. If you take it to, if you take equities, right? So if I'm going to buy stock in GE, I'm going to ostensibly look at two things, the chart and the sort of the technical patterns. But then also I have this fundamentals analysis. I can look at a balance sheet. I can look at an income statement. I can see they're making money or losing money. Um, I can see that they are selling off assets because their business is in trouble or yep. conversely, they're investing, right? 
Um, side note, the statement of cash flow is one of the most interesting things you can look at more than the income statement of the balance sheet because it really does tell you everything. There is no statement of cash flows. There is no balance sheet in crypto. So what do you use? Again, we go right back to the beginning conversation of the blockchain, right? Because here's the thing. The, since the blockchain is a ledger, le, ledger, uh, ledger excuse me, of activities, then you can see how many people are buying and selling. And so this becomes an exchange just like any other, right? If there is demand for the Thai bot, it's going to go up versus the dollar. If there's less demand, it's going to go down uh, versus the dollar. Crypto works in the exact same way. But here's the difficulty. Stefan nailed it. You as an individual, what I will I, I will refer to as a retail investor, myself, Steve, Tracy, all, all yep. of you guys, yep. right? All of us. We're going in and there is so much data to analyze on the blockchain that our hope of for of for whatever um, identifying trends is virtually non-existent. So it just becomes a complete gamble. Markets in general, whether they're stocks, bonds, crypto, gold, pork bellies, whatever, are all gambles to some extent, but at least you have some data to inform your decision. So then the question is, is if you've got this big old ledger and you've got all these different transactions, how do you make sense of it? In enough time to actually make right. money off of it. Right. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you guys, I, just yeah. by you explaining that alone, Eric, I'm sweating. So uh, the answer is, <laughs> right. the answer is yeah, I, don't, I don't know. So Wait, this makes so this, this we makes need like a water boy or somebody tall boy to bring him right. something over there. <laughs> yeah. So can you parse, you know, I don't know, twenty gigabytes of data in the next hour to figure out whether you should buy Bitcoin or not? Yeah. Spoiler no, alert. No, no, I cannot. So it's yes, right? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. Of yeah. course you can't, right? But our system can. Because it is artificial intelligence based, it's actually combing through all that data and giving you a real time indicator. So while we were on this conversation right now, I actually pulled up its market signal or its recommendation for Bitcoin. It's basically saying, you know, look for a sell opportunity. And why? Because it's parsing, you know, all of this data and it's doing it far quicker than a human can. Right. Because, again, there's no fundamentals analysis. There's no guy on CNBC going, sell, 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 pushing a big old button. Yep. Right. Yep. And yelling into the microphone. Right. It, it, it doesn't, there's no next year. There's no NYSC. Yeah. Right. Right. So it basically is a pure data play. Right. The data should inform your decisions as to buying or selling. So then so the question here's a, comes, here, but here's a question. If, yeah. if this becomes like when the, uh, I mean, they're a little on the fringes now, but as this mm -hmm. becomes more and more uh, mainstream, let's say, and yes. uh, you're seeing, because I remember like Overstock.com was one of the first ones to like just be an online market that was like, we're going to accept, you know, cryptocurrency as, you know, to pay for mm -hmm. things. And they, they are long time in it. Uh, Frederick Hyatt wrote a book called The Pretense of Knowledge years ago, mm -hmm. talking about how you can't, you can't know this stuff that it, it, too many individuals are making too many types of decisions that you can't know. And so it's impossible to understand. So as this becomes more and more something that is become goes into the mainstream, how much more complicated is it going to be to understand like what the trend or what the market is actually even telling you at any given point? 
It's a really great philosophical question. You can get into Hayek, you can get into Simulker and simulation, all these sorts of things, right? Which would make this, my conversation about crypto more pedantic than it's already bound to be. But- um, You're welcome. But I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say, <laughs> but I'll say this, I'll say this, right? If you've got lots of automated systems and it becomes a game of dueling banjos, then the best algorithm will win in the, in the intermediate term. Over the long enough term, the best algorithm will probably amass enough assets to be able to impact markets. And then it's not just the best algorithm, it's the best laddering algorithm as well. So gracefully getting in and out of trades as well, because if Bill Gates were to sell his Microsoft stock, it'll move the market. Yep. Yep. At some point, there will be consolidation in the industry. You're absolutely right, Tracy. And so what's going to happen is that those algorithms need to be aware that not only are they trading in the market, but they are impacting the market as well. And to run its own sort of internal simulations as to you know what the impact would be if it buys and sells, right? So, so think Wouldn't of it, it be as great like to a, have an AI to do that? Yeah. Well, the, it actually exists, we made it. <laughs> yeah, the, the machine learning piece of it, and, and I'm glad Eric hit on that, the machine learning piece right. of it is, is absolutely fascinating to me, yes. right? Because you know it's, it's almost like, like she become, we, we call our tool FATE, F-A-I-T is, is the acronym. It's Flourishing AI Technology, piece of technology. So we call her FATE. And we're, we're all getting really fond of her because she's incredibly smart. And what's really fascinating is, the, you know, talking philosophy is, is if she's aware of her own impact on the market, does that mean that she's fundamentally self-aware? Let's, you know, does that mean that she's recognizing her own impact in this, virtual reality that she's she's now, now this has me sweating right so <laughs> so it gets really interesting really quickly but you know to eric's point and this is this is where you know we separate ourselves from from you know the market so to speak is that our tool is is learning fate is learning mm -hmm. constantly the more transactions that she partakes in the more dollars that flow through her she's learning each and every step of the way Version one was able to look several hours into the future and make predictions based on what was happening, right? We, we recently launched version 2.0. She can now look anywhere from one to four days into the future and make predictions on what might happen with an individual token. And then she can make decisions based on those predictions and go and make trades to help drive that direction, right? And as, as Eric correctly identified, right, the more funds that she has under management, the more each and every move that she makes begins to intertwine with the overall move of the market. And so you get this butterfly effect happening. Then it gets really fascinating. You can go off into little circles for hours on it, you know, but where it comes down is no human can keep up with, with this, right? We talked about the individuals, you know, we're all out there struggling to try and find that next big hit. Fate's looking at over 4,500 markets constantly not like i'm going to look at a market and then i'm going to go look at another market yeah no she's she's monitoring 4500 plus markets constantly and continuously Real she's time. pulling in all of that data at any given moment and making decisions based off of it she she drives i mean the numbers are just astounding to me she's almost doing she's almost pulling a, a full terabit of data down across the web on a daily basis now. 
to to calculate what's happening. So a terabyte I, of data. Like I I have I have two questions. So one, are you both Eric and Stefan? Are you both aware that Steve is going to fall in love with fate and it's going to get weird? So that's question number one, because yeah. that's it's I've seen a million movies like this. He falls. we've already tried to talk him down. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, question number two is a serious question. So uh, me, normal schmo, how do I, in, in, for lack of a better term, how do I meet fate? How do I get fate involved in my day to day? Where do I find you? How does this how does this work? Is this a service that's available now? Is it something? Can I go to a website and start to partake in this? How to explain to me how it works? Yeah. So to answer number one, we've already worked out that Keanu Reeves is going to play Steve in the movie. Yeah. Uh, He's a really nice question, guy. Come on. <laughs> to answer question number two, what you do is you sign up at flourishingai.com. Uh, and then um, what you're able to do at that point is you are able to deposit some funds or a couple of different ways to go from dollars to crypto and then just let it start to go. Um, if you've used any kind of robo trader for equities, whether that's Wealthfront or whether that's the more traditional firms of Fidelity, Schwab and all that, right. it's the same basic idea, except you're trading crypto instead of equities or bonds or whatever it is that you're trading. So, and I, I actually just punched this in. So it is cool. flourishingcapital.com. Flourishingai.com. Flourishingai.com. Okay. Flourishingai.com. And okay. all I have to do, it's it, give me just again for somebody who's brand yep. new to this. What am I looking yep. at? Am I looking at 15 minutes before I'm suddenly owning and trading, for lack of a better term, crypto? You could. Yeah. So click login. Okay. And then all you have to do is register. Got it. And then okay. what it'll do is it'll walk you through the process of signing up with an exchange. Um, we haven't defined that term before, but think of an exchange as the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the NYSE, yep. the NASDAQ, right? So you just log in with your credentials there, um, and then you start trading. You have to con you convert some kind of dollars yep. to you know crypto in that exchange, or you can have somebody you know pay you in crypto for services, which happens all the time in our world, by the way. Yep, yep, okay. All That's right, it. well, we're, we're running low on time. Steve, I, I want you to have the final word and kind of take us home here, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be at your wedding with fate, just so you know. Okay. I will be there to support you. <laughs> They're a lovely couple. We're, we're <laughs> registered at Neiman Marcus and at the Microsoft Store. So, if you want to learn more about it, Dave, you can, you can check out my new podcast, um, sponsored by flourishing capital, um, that I, I, am breaking to you now that I'm, that I'm doing. So, uh, I'm doing it in front of companies so that there won't be a scene. Yeah. Your second uh, competing podcast. I'm pretty excited to hear about this. Please tell me more. Well, well, it, it, it's, it's, it's important growth, Dave and, and you and Tracy have been such great partners. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still here, but, you're now, you're now like, you know, number three on my priority list now. So it's, you know, sorry. He's doing a solo album. Rick Rubin's producing it. It's going to be fantastic. Um, no, it, I, you know, working with, uh, working with Stefan and with uh, Eric's been a lot of fun. I, I'm learning a lot of this, this stuff, but I really wanted you two to be asking the questions here. Um, 
I want to thank Eric and Stefan for taking the time. We got really great information here and we always like to invite our guests back. Um, you know, there, there may be a, for us. well, <laughs> you know, I, I have Sorry, I all seats to fill on my <laughs> show too. So, um, this is, uh, this has been great. I want to thank you both for, for being here. Uh, flourishing capital, please go out and check it out. Um, and, uh, thanks again. Thank you for having Woo! us. Thank you guys. Great to be with you. Once again, we would like to thank Eric and Stefan from Flourishing Capital for yeah, joining boy. us on the Dave and Steve show. We are going to hop huh? into a break and you'll hear more of us right after. Right after. Now you can make money safely and securely from the privacy of your own home. Introducing Cash for Cash, the easy and affordable way to turn your unwanted bills and coins into cash now. I didn't know what I was going to do with all the insurance money I got from my husband's death. So I sent it into Cash for Cash, and in just a couple of days, I had all the money I needed to pay my bills. And Cash for Cash is easy to use. Simply mail your unwanted bills and coins to us in the patented Easy True Scam Mailer, and Cash for Cash will promptly send you a check in the mail, minus shipping and handling, and a small processing fee. After I found that coffee can in the backyard, I thought, ain't no way I'm going to be able to do anything with this old money. But Cash for Cash sent me brand new money in exchange and I was able to take the old lady out for a nice dinner. So if you got worn out, slightly torn, or even marked bills and coins, Cash for Cash has the solution for you. Recent studies show that dollar for dollar value has never been higher. So now is the time. Cash for Cash, where the smart money is. I think there are a few unwritten rules in life that most sane people abide by. One is you hurry up while you're in the crosswalk and don't make cars wait longer than necessary. Sure, you have the right of way, but don't be a jackass. Return your shopping cart to where they get collected. Don't leave them in the spot where you parked and don't put the front wheels up on the nearest curb of a green belt. And lastly, when a baseball hall of famer is selling you his old Christmas decorations, you don't barter. You don't negotiate. You don't hem and haw while countering with 50 cents on the dollar. If he wants you to pay $20, you pay him 30. If he insists you buy them all, then you do it and say thank you and load them all by yourself and then understand how lucky you are for the amazing story you have forever. This has been Tracy's etiquette for buying old garage sale items from Baseball Hall of Famers Minute. Wow. Sorry, Dad. That's Oddly uh, specific. Ron Dam. That's on me. I, I, I'm pretty sure I told that story wrong. I will say this. If you're listening now and you're hearing like some kind of weird static, we're, we're hearing it. Well, at least two-thirds of us are hearing it. Tracy and I hear some kind of weird, and it's it's my issue. It's something to go to do with my recording. Steve's not hearing it. If this makes it through into the final recording, we apologize. I may or may not have it fixed by next week, but I will say this is what I was saying to the guys off the air. All I did was give them shit all week long because they're both trying to figure out how to get recording of the podcast set up from home so that when I'm out of town or if Steve's doing his stuff and wants to have a guest on one of his 18 shows that he has now besides this one, he can. And 
I was doing nothing but constantly chiming in with uh, updates that all they said was, hey, my shit is still working. And I was giving them a hard time all week. And then, of course, now I'm the one with having technical issues the night we go to record. So if you're hearing weirdness, might be fixed by next week. I don't know. I don't We'll tune in to find out. That's a cliffhanger. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we've with the interview and everything, we've been uh, we've already got a lot of meaty content tonight, but I can't think of anything more meaty than Tracy's headlines. And now, straight from the Dave and Steve Show news desk in beautiful Anytown, USA Plaza, it's Tracy Green with this week's headlines. Our first story, study shows people working from home are having sex, dating, taking naps, and doing side hustles on company time. Recent study commissioned by E. Conolite captured the current collective situation of our working from home activities. And here's a highlight of what they found. 42% of those returned surveys said that they have been on a date. 41% have had sex. Almost half said they had an alcoholic drink. About 60% have taken a nap. An overwhelming 77% say they shop online while on the clock at least once a week. And I bet you that happened in the office anyway. So around 50% of respondents have worked for another company while on the clock with their employer. And two in five have been reprimanded at least once for getting off task. And 39% have been let go from the jobs for doing non-work-related activities. Now, despite 76 of the respondents Spending more than four hours each day focused on work, 40% of the participants said they spend four or more hours away from their computers. The interesting thing here, and Tracy, you alluded to it when you were reading the story, is I'm curious how these numbers vary from when people were at the office. Because I feel like a lot of this stuff, the online shopping, the alcoholic drinks, all that kind of stuff... A lot of that stuff was happening anyway. I've, I've, maybe I haven't told the story on this incarnation of the show, but I had a, a guy, we'll just call him Ted. Uh, I had a guy that I worked with uh, for, for many years, and I would go into his office, and he was a self-described laid-back Hawaiian. And I would go in there, and it was always, you know, he, was, he would give me the, hey, what's up, how you doing? And, like, super chill all the time. And no matter what happened, if you went to him with a huge problem, like, oh my gosh, this thing's happened. I don't know what to do. He'd be like, hey, we'll get it figured out. Don't worry about it. And I just always chalked it up to, he was just a very laid back Hawaiian dude until his last day of work. When he was all done with the company and he was retiring, and he was riding off into the sunset. He invited me into his office and he pulled open the bottom drawer of his desk and it was stocked with alcohol. There was every kind of bottle of alcohol you could imagine in the drawer. And then it dawned on me, he wasn't laid back. He was drunk. He was drunk 90% of the time. And that's why he was so chill because he was borderline passing out. The point of all that is, and no, Steve, I was not the little boy in that story. Uh, I, was, I, was not the, I was not the laid back Hawaiian because I know you were about to ask that. Uh, the point of all that is just, uh, I think a lot of this stuff was probably happening on company time anyway. It's just now we're sitting our asses at home kind of doing the same thing. Right. I, I also think that because a lot of work from home happens at home, that um, maybe some of that work isn't getting done in the middle of the day when it used to get done. Because when you would go into work, you're like, I'm only in at work for so many hours. I have to right. do all the work while I'm here. And I'm not touching this shit when I get home. You're, when you're at home, you, there's no escape from it. 
like if if something urgent comes up or something's clawing at your brain, you jump back on your computer and you're you're gonna do you're gonna work at six thirty in in the evening after work hours are over. You know, um, so some of that there's a shift. Some of that stuff was happening at at work, but also I think it's fair to say that we're also working odd hours more than we were uh, beforehand as yeah, well. Yeah. And it goes back to the thing I've always said, which is if you are, if you have a task at hand that your company has given you and you get that task done in the agreed upon time that the company wants you to get it done, that that's all I care about as a manager. That's all I care about. I don't care when you do it or how you do it or whatever else you might be doing while you're doing it or anything else. If the thing I've asked you to get done gets done, we're good. We can, we can move on. I don't care how you get from point A to point B. And it was always considered bad form for your spouse to come into your place of work and for you to have sex with them there. Was it? Uh, whereas, yeah. yeah, it's frowned oh. upon. It, it's, yeah, it, there's you, been a couple of places I've worked where that was really like shunned. And they weren't like clear about it the first couple of times it happened. Like they, you got some eye rolls and whatever, but then like it took like three or four, you know, visits before you were told that that's not okay. Or that passive aggressive team meeting where they're not talking about you. It's like, oh yeah, just a quick reminder for everybody. Yeah. Uh, just it's standard. I just if need you don't to bring enough for everybody. Don't do it. Yeah. But I will say this, and we've said this about a few other companies as well. If, if you're working for a company that won't let you boink your wife in front of everybody in the office in the middle of the day, that's not a company you want to be working for. Yeah. That's what my career counselor told me. Right. Like one of the first things. Please continue, Tracy. All right. Hey, a second story, a woman who pooped her pants halfway through a marathon <laughs> and ran with it in her shorts until she crossed the finish line, achieved a personal record. Tamara Torlakson digestive track is a well-oiled machine. Whenever she has a race on a long run day, her bowels automatically clear before she hits a road. Nothing was different the day of the Mountains 2 Beach Marathon. Nice. Uh, her sixth race of the 26.2-mile distance in uh, 2018. And yet, about halfway through the race, she realized she needed to go again. And how she handled that urge was unusual. By pooping her pants, but she believes it served her well. Torlakson ended up achieving a personal record as well as legend status in her running circles. I don't know about a lot about running, but what I do know is this is this is I wouldn't I don't know how common it is. I'm not gonna speak as though I know. I I here, here's what I will say. Ready? You guys ready for this? Mm -hmm. right. I'm not gonna talk out my ass when it comes to this, but what <laughs> I will say uh, I see. That's great. Uh, but what I will say is I, you do hear about this. I mean, there's even there's even pictures of people running in marathons with poop literally running down their legs because I've never run a marathon. I have I've I worked with a guy who actually did the Ironman triathlon mm -hmm. and it happened to him. And he said it is one of those things you are taxing your body so heavily and you're doing things to your body, not only in terms of the actual race itself, but also just in terms of prep for the race and what you have to do and not do and eat and not eat, it happens. And you just have to make the decision, am I going to finish like this lady with a with a turd rattling around in my backside or am I going to stop and change and all that kind of stuff? And when times are involved and everything else, you, you just run with the dookie in your pants. 
so thankful that Chipotle was open for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> the Chipotle, so the- you run by the Chipotle station. <laughs> They're handing you burritos as big you run. Burrito, just big burrito. I wanted the lime rice. Oh, God. So without stopping, she relieved herself when the, into the built-in underwear in her shorts. She said, I had to focus. She said, it just came out, and I felt a lot better. Now, Tor- uh, Torlikson didn't, uh, doesn't think anyone noticed, and she said she didn't give a shit if they did. <laughs> yeah. and she, uh, she added, uh, I think, a blanket statement that uh, marathoners uh, don't judge. I fact-checked. Uh, this and it uh, apparently they do yeah yeah so uh was she in last place because that's gonna that's gonna make a difference to uh, people that have to run through it all i can tell you is she made a personal record and that's important to me that she uh she did her what the best that she could do so we're all winners good for her good for her. hey let's uh do our last story here a trash bin from myrtle beach had made its way across the Atlantic Ocean. Wait, what? Certain <laughs> a trash so, man from Myrtle Beach had waited. No, a made trash it... a trash bin. Oh, a from trash Myrtle bin. Beach from Myrtle has Beach made its way across the Atlantic Ocean. Keith McGreal, who lives along Ireland's west coast, said he found the blue bin that came all the way from Myrtle Beach <laughs> to County Mayo on Sunday. We spotted the stickers and thought. It would be a good story, he said. Amazing to think that it traveled all the way across the Atlantic. You know, the problem with, with these with these bins is we don't have blue bins in our country. We don't. And and when this one when this one washed up and I put it right alongside me, orange bins, which by the way, if you know anything about Ireland, you don't want to have orange bins, okay? Orange is a little bit offensive to us. But yeah, I, I would like one of these blue bins, but they won't pick them up. Like it's not compatible with whatever truck comes through and and picks up the picks up the bin, and uh, I'd like to send it back to Myrtle Beach, but uh, but I've made kind of a nice planter out of it. Do you, do you think do you think that guy has built-in underwear in his shorts? Because I feel I, like I he's the type of guy that does. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Very <laughs> much. The trash bin became somewhat weathered throughout the journey, but the city of Myrtle Beach's logo is clearly seen on the side. I don't think it's possible to tell when it went missing, but it's probably during one of our windstorm events. We typically remove trash containers from the beach before a hurricane, but this one apparently had a mind of its own, uh, the city of Myrtle Beach said. You know, I don't mind it because uh, one of my wee ones was down at the, down at the shore playing in it. And it became kind of a little bit of fort for. Have you guys ever, <clears throat> do you know anybody who's ever done the like redneck hot tub or redneck swimming pool where they put the tarp inside the, the bin and, and fill it with water? Because I feel like that's something you have. Yeah, Steve says he has done that. I feel like, I feel I, like that would just be a kick in the ass. I would, I would do that. And I, I'd be okay with the garbage. How does smell. that work? Is it, do you put hot water in it or what? I think you can put any, I think you could put soup in it if you wanted to. You can put any uh, liquid in there, Tracy. I mean, the sky's should, the limit. Soup in it, definitely yeah. soup. Oh, okay. I would probably go for some uh, beef barley. Yeah. Big, big bin of that. That would yeah. be, uh, so McGrill said the bin is being used as a trash receptacle on a oh. remote stretch of the beach. Uh, where it was found. So the, the Irish uh, found a way to uh, turn 
um, the trash bin into a um, trash bin. Yeah. Um, also, uh, I did some fact checking on the city of Myrtle Beach statement. Uh, the trash bins do not have a mind of their own. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's the news, fellas. All right. We're going to get out of here. One more quick thanks to Eric and Stefan. Uh, Steve, please, because I'll butcher it. Get the give us the website address. Give us the name of the company. Put that all together for everybody. Sure. Flourishingai.com is where you're going to want to go to uh, get all signed up. If you're into or interested in doing some cryptocurrency trading, go check that out. Um, Flourishing Capital is the name of the company, and it's Eric Gonzalez is the CEO, and Stefan Rollins is the chief marketing officer. Wonderful. Anything else from you, Steve? Yeah. I saw the dumbest damn thing. <laughs> and I'm not, we're not leaving until I talk. No, about wait, this. no. Cause if this is, if this is the hardware store story, I want you to save this for next week. We're going to lead oh, off with this. I yeah. promise. Okay, okay. Okay. But it was, it was puzzling. It was absolutely puzzling. We'll get to it. And that's incentive. If you're listening right now to tune in next week, so you can hear Steve's hardware store story. Uh, Tracy, anything else from you? I don't have another thing. All right. For Steve, for Tracy, for me, Dave. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Dave and Steve Show.